I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Once Upon a Gene is proud to be part of Bloodstream Media. Living in a family affected by rare and chronic illness can be isolating, and sometimes the best medicine is connecting to the voices of people who share your experience. This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more. Hello, friends. I'm Effie Parks. Once a month, I release this extra special episode in a series I call A Rare Collection. It features a few people from the rare disease community, each telling a true story with the same theme. I'm super excited to present the 13th episode in the storytelling series. I've always been moved by storytelling, and I believe there is so much power in them for both the listener and the storyteller. I'm the luckiest podcaster ever in that this is what I get to do for fun, passion, and purpose. Today's episode features four of my rare mama friends from Instagram, one of whom I actually got to hug in person when I visited Ohio recently. The theme for today's show is remember who you are. The storytellers have the utmost freedom to be creative and take the theme wherever their heart desires. Here's a story from Madeline Uden, Mama to Margot, who has SCN8A. When my daughter Margot was born, I shared with my friends and family, Welcome, Margot. We love you, baby girl, and can't wait to show you the world. By that, I meant literally take her all around the world to discover the beauty of different landscapes, experience a range of cultures, and learn from those living around the world. I wanted to take her on adventures near and far. Being an adventurer is in my genes, from my Viking ancestors to my grandmother who took a boat from Sweden at the age of six to settle in Canada. My Canadian mom moved to Russia for a semester abroad in college in the mid-70s, while my French dad was hitchhiking through Africa at the same time. I got on my first flight at four months old and have never stopped traveling. Some of the highlights include road tripping through Cuba with my brother, teaching flying trapeze at a Formula One Grand Prix in Bahrain, hiking the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu in Peru. I have visited almost 50 countries and could not wait to take Margot to all of them to show her the world. As her due date approached, I had already printed out the documents to apply for her U.S. passport, which we received when she was two months old. We had our first trip to France to see my parents booked for her at three months old. Two days before we were due to leave, Margot had her first seizures. We went to the ER and were eventually admitted. After monitoring, our daughter was diagnosed with epilepsy, although the cause remained unknown. When the medical team did rounds in the morning, I asked them, should we cancel our trip? They all said yes. Margot did respond well to her first seizure medication, and we were sent home. At this point, we thought, okay, this was just a blip. Margot is fine, and we looked ahead to our next trip. We had a second trip planned later in August to see my husband's family in California. Margot was doing well. We had not seen any other seizures, but any travel is stressful. Any kind of stress can trigger seizures. Altitude changes can trigger seizures. What if she has a seizure and we can't get any help? Travel leads to more exposure to germs and potentially fevers, which can also trigger seizures. While Margot did not have any seizures on this trip, it ended up being the worst trip ever. 
Midway through, we got the call that our genetic testing results had come in, and Margot was diagnosed with two mutations in the SCN8A gene, one of a number of genes that can cause epilepsy. We spent the whole day reading up on this disease, crying, not knowing what the future would bring. We flew home just heartbroken, stressed, afraid. I felt like I literally never wanted to leave the safety and comfort of my own home again. Marco then started developing a new type of seizures called infantile spasms, a catastrophic type of epilepsy which can severely damage the brain. These have been extremely hard to control. Marco also had an apneic seizure where she stopped breathing, which led us to our first ambulance ride to the ER. Over the last seven months, we tried seven different anti-epileptic drugs, most of which failed. During these times, I thought we are never going to be able to do anything, let alone travel, get on a plane, go somewhere. And this thought, it crushed me. Epilepsy is much more than seizures. Margot is globally developmentally delayed, has low tone, and therefore still does not have head control at one year old. She is also at high risk for SUDEP or sudden death in epilepsy. She also got diagnosed with cortical visual impairment, which means her eyes can see, but her brain cannot process the information. So even if we are able to do things, if Margot can't see anything, then what does that even mean? The expectations I had for my life were already so different with Margot's diagnosis, but the idea of not being able to travel and go on adventures and show her the world, that made me really sad. As a last resort for her infantile spasms, we started the ketogenic diet. We started seeing improvements right away and reduced her spasms, and things were starting to be more stable. That's when I told my husband, we need to find a way to travel and go on an adventure. So we booked a trip to Florida to an all-inclusive resort. I was so nervous leading up to the trip. There was so much to bring for Margot. Her ketogenic formula, her food, her butter, her scale to weigh out the food, her meds, and some of her new equipment to help her sit properly. Then, a week before our trip, Margot started to have a new type of seizures. In the moment, I thought, should we cancel our trip? Should we even be doing this? After talking to her neurologist, we increased the dose of her medication, and it helped. And off we went. The flight went well, and we made it to the resort. It took me two days to just relax when we got here, after the stress of travel and planning. But seeing Margot discovering a new place has been amazing. Margot loves being in the water and has been swimming several times a day. We have this inflatable neck buoy which she uses in her bath which gives her full freedom to move her body around while in the water with good head support. She also loves the warm weather and is happy to sit outside. Our resort has childcare and we've been leaving Margot there for a bit. My husband and I have been able to enjoy being together and doing some of our favorite things, paddleboarding, swimming for him and flying trapeze for me. After our swim last night, we sat by the pool overlooking the ocean, having cocktails, watching the sunset. It was magical. This is what I dreamed of doing with my daughter. This trip has helped me remember who I am, a fearless adventure. Was the trip hard? Yes. There was so much to keep track of with Margot, but my husband and I worked as a team. We were able to stay on top of all her meds and meals. Was being around all the neurotypical kids hard? Yes. Other parents looked at us at the pool, carrying Margot, telling us how relaxed she looks, when really it's just because of her low muscle tone. But I smiled and just didn't let it get to me. I kept telling myself, we are here, we are on an adventure with our daughter, and we are doing this. And now we are looking ahead to our next adventure, taking Margot to France this summer, where I was born and raised, so Margot can discover her French heritage and see more of the world. Here's a story from Alyssa Poskarbowicz, mama to Lenny, who has charge syndrome. When our son was born nearly six years ago, they placed him on my chest, and as I looked down at him, I thought, wow, I'm his mom. Motherhood certainly changed me, and yet a lot of things didn't change. We still hiked, we traveled, 
We tried new restaurants and went out for the day exploring. And while I gained this title of mom, and it was new, and of course had its challenges, I still knew who I was. We had a village, one that understood and could relate when we talked about the difficulties and joys of new parenthood. I fell in love with not just my son, but what being a mother meant and looked like to me. In September of 2020, our daughter came into the world six weeks early. Only this time, she wasn't placed in my arms. She was unable to breathe, so she was emergently intubated and then transported to the children's hospital. It was two more days before I'd see her and hold her for the first time. Attached to monitors and lots of tubing, I held her tiny, fragile body with the help of two nurses. In the first few days of her life, we found out she had multiple medical complexities unknown to us during pregnancy. She had her first surgery at five days old and was diagnosed with CHARGE syndrome. The remainder of her NICU stay was a revolving door of specialists coming in and out, discussing the limitations our daughter would face while expressing condolences as if we had lost her. But she was right there in my arms. Our daughter spent a total of 27 weeks admitted during her first year of life. My mothering crossed into a new setting, navigating hospital life. Instead of sitting in moments I wanted to soak up like I did the first year with my son, I spent a majority of my time in moments that I wanted to run from. Painful, gut-wrenching moments. Ones where I watched my daughter struggle in pain. Moments I thought we were going to lose her. Being the extra set of hands to hold her down. Trauma after trauma for her and us. I had an expectation of what motherhood would look like, and oh no, this was not it. Being her mom was terrifying. And when she came home from the hospital, we were in charge of providing the interventions to keep her alive and safe. I became her nurse. My role as her mother took on a new form, a new meaning this time around. Now an OT, PT, feeding therapist, SLP, care coordinator and manager, researcher, fierce advocate, disability ally in training? At the heart of it, I know I'm still mom, but often that comes second to these. That line between mom and these other roles is blurry. There's a question I've come to dread when in public with someone who doesn't know our story. And what do you do, they ask. It sounds simple enough to answer, but I feel the weight of it as I stumble trying to find the words to respond. I'm a stay-at-home mom? No, that doesn't quite fit nor do I care to explain the unique circumstances around the once full-time, now part-time job I somehow managed to hold on to. And then I feel a lump in my throat as the words, I'm a caregiver, comes out. I'm a caregiver. You see, there's a general developmental timeline of what motherhood looks like across the stages of life that most envision. That changes when you have a disabled or medically complex child. I will be my daughter's caretaker for the rest of my life. And that is still an overwhelming realization. In the community with my son, I feel a sense of belonging as his mom. There's an ease of dialogue, connection, validation. The systems of support and resources are vast and easy to find. As mom to my daughter, I felt lonely, misunderstood, unseen, unrelatable at times, even in my closest and safest circles. Unwelcome when I look around and notice the majority of places we used to frequent won't be accessible for one of our kids. This shift in my role as a parent to my son and daughter is messy, complicated by the fact that I have to show up differently as my son's mom and as my daughter's mom. 
it's confusing, it's isolating, and it's exhausting. Our daughter's favorite movie is Moana, and there's a line in one of the Psalms where the grandmother says, Moana, do you know who you are? And then Moana asks, who am I? This part always gets me because I've asked myself this question countless times. Who am I now? I don't recognize this version of me. I feel like I'm in uncharted waters and most days I'm just trying to keep treading. Right now I'm still grieving that older version of myself as a woman and mother. There's a lot I miss about her and I'm trying to hold space for that while I discover who I currently am and the future versions of who I will be. I read something once about a rebirth of a woman as a mother when her child is born. I deeply felt that with my son and then with my daughter, I felt it over and over and over again a continuous rebirth. Being a rare disease mom has also impacted how I now parent our son. It's changed how I show up as a wife, as a friend. It's changed me in the most beautiful, heartbreaking way. My son gave me the title of mom and my rare girl, she's helping me become a better one. There are moments in our lives that break and rebuild us. I'll continue to break and continue to rebuild. I'll keep learning and growing I'll diversify. I'm slowly learning how to find my voice. And as that voice starts to get louder, more confident, more honest, I'll know I'm getting closer to who I'm becoming. Here's a story from Caitlin Walden, mama to Shayla, who has F-Pies in RAG2. When I think about remembering who I am, the sentiment that you are not just a rare disease parent, but still a person who longs for things, who needs things to feel fulfilled for yourself. How hard we all work to become our true selves and strive for the things we've always dreamed of. The inner person we nurture and grow like seeds in a garden. There's a fragility to our personas that I've never truly understood until I became a parent to a rare disease child. For so long after my third child's birth, I walked in the cloud of wake up, tend to the baby and my two other children's needs, doctor's appointments, therapies, and grind. I'm a spouse to an active duty service member, so I was often used to wearing many hats while also being alone to parent our children and still find time to be me. But this time was different. Since I was a little girl, all I had ever wanted to do was to fulfill my passion as soon as I could. I love so many things from writing and creating to spending time laughing with the ones I love. And most of all, I love to give, whether that was volunteering at a soup kitchen to fulfilling my dreams in my career in healthcare. I knew who I was and where I was going, and I felt so good about that. Somewhere, though, in late 2019, I lost that person. I was now the parent to a very medically complex child who had just survived life support. And I found myself navigating this world of advocacy mixed with the life of an active duty military spouse overtaking who I was. I had not realized completely how easy it is as a rare disease parent to become immersed into your children's health and that the family's health could so easily spill over your own needs and desires. No matter how naturally or unnaturally caretaking comes to us, that doesn't negate the fact that when you are immersed in the battle, you are there to fight from morning to night for your children. Our battle had begun, and I found myself at the keyboard of my laptop in the silence of the night, searching through medical articles, 
analyzing every lab drawn, comparing notes from previous visits, and sitting with my anxiety of what was to happen next. My head would hit the pillow with swirling thoughts of, don't forget to call this doctor tomorrow, follow up on this appointment, don't forget the refill prescription is ready, count the formula cans to see if we're ready for resupply. The endless lists for tomorrow dancing around my head until I drift ever so slightly off to sleep. How different my life had become, yet all so familiar. How willing we all are to lay ourselves down for the ones we love. Two years ago, we received orders to move to Louisiana in the midst of us not knowing truly what was causing our daughter's medical issues. We were moved to the middle of nowhere, an hour each way from any mid-sized town with access to health care. I was tasked with keeping my daughter stable enough to get us a compassionate reassignment. When we first arrived, a nurse on base at one point asked me a very simple question in my passing. How do you find time to do things for yourself? Or how do you find yourself when your daughter's needs seem so scary and overwhelming? For the first time since the birth of my daughter, I was void of thought, completely and utterly unsure of what even filled my cup anymore. I don't know how to respond other than to say, I'm a mom and my kids fill my cup. When I got in my car, I quickly ripped down my sun visor and opened the mirror. Tears were rolling down my cheeks and waves of grief and exhaustion. Who was this woman staring back at me? I had completely forgot through everything that I am more than just a rare disease mom, that I am and was a vibrant woman who had dreams of opening a business, writing a book, fostering children, an overflowing cup of desires and goals that lay behind the stormy clouds that were my life the last year. I had pulled back on my career that I loved so, so much, stopped doing all the little things I needed for self-care, and was completely committed to my daughter's every need day in and day out. How many times before had I glanced in the mirror but never really looked? That seed that turned into a plant was just sitting in the garden, hidden by the overgrowth of life. It was time I remembered that I could be both a parent to a rare disease kid and me, and neither had to sit aside for one another. We are tasked often in this rare disease community to wear so many hats, to be the eyes and the ears for our kiddos, to present doctors with literature, data, and the reality that our kids don't fit in perfect little boxes. We fight to the end of time for what they deserve, but we are more than just these hats. We are people too. We are daughters, sons, brothers, sisters, friends, and partners. We are musicians, artists, mathematicians, police officers, nurses, gardeners, readers, designers, cooks. We are sunshine on cloudy days. We are laughter and unforgettable memories. We are sequins and glue. We are cultivators of the future, our future. Our identities are so worthy and capable of overflowing our cups. It is hard. This life, this journey with our rare kids, that is hard work. Nothing can detract from the sacrifices we give. But we are fiercely capable of being someone else too. Don't lose sight of your seed in the garden. Water it. Nurture it. 
and let it blossom into the vibrant, glowing garden fulfilled and loved. Here's a story from Erin Monist, Mama to Reagan with CP Epilepsy. Mom, caregiver, appointment scheduler, chauffeur, pharmacist, therapist, chef, advocate, wife, person. Last on the list, person. It's likely that at one point or another, every mom has looked in the mirror and not recognized the person staring back at them. Add in parenting a child with multiple disabilities, and the person you once were is lost. But does it have to be this way? I was recently reminded of the person I was before. Before marriage, before parenting, before epilepsy, before cerebral palsy, before I learned every medical and educational acronym, before a person with hobbies, hopes, and very big dreams. Early in my disability parenting journey, I remember feeling an immense amount of guilt if I did anything outside of parenting. One particular instance, I had a near panic attack in a bar class. As I thought about how difficult any type of physical activity was for my child, therefore, I just shouldn't do it. The more we suppress the person we were before, the harder it becomes to go back to, until ultimately we reach a breaking point, and a little voice inside is yelling, let me out, I'm still here. The term self-care gets thrown around a lot these days, and I've always found it quite annoying. I don't have time for a manicure. I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. I don't have time for me. It wasn't until I redefined self-care that I was truly able to hear that voice inside. The one saying, I'm still here. Self-care is doing the things that make you feel the most like yourself. And doing the things that made me feel the most like myself, the list that defined me changed. Hi, I'm Erin, a yogi, friend, daughter, mom to a medically complex kid, and advocate. By putting myself first on the list, I am better at all the things I need to be. Now look, I know it's easier said than done, and I am certainly no expert. And in my 10 years of parenting, I've slipped up more times than I can count. I've lost myself, but I've always found a way back. Listen. Listen to that voice. The one that is screaming, I'm still in here. Let it guide you. Let it guide you back to you. Whatever it is that makes you feel more like you, do it. For me, it's finding time on my yoga mat and spending time with friends. Maybe for you, it's a bubble bath on a Sunday night, going for a long run, or reading a good book. Staying true to yourself allows you to be the best version of you. Look in the mirror. Recognize who's looking back at you? I do. I've added a few new titles along the way, but hey, I'm still. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, 
please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate y'all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you.